speaks after all this time and you would expect maybe that he would immediately come in and explain Job's problems and all his questions. That did not happen. He just talked about his own greatness and uh, talked about uh, the fact that Job needed to recognize who he is versus who he's, he himself is. Uh, that's our, sometimes our problem in our problems is that we start to get a warped sense and, and uh, you know, if you're if you're ever hurting or you're going through something, that seems to consume all of your attention. You ever stubbed your toe middle of the night? You know what your pinky toe's for? It doesn't help your balance. It's to find things in the dark. That's what your pinky toe's for. And when you find something in the dark and you whack that pinky toe uh, and you're doing new dances and all those things as you're trying to get rid of that pain, uh, don't, you never stop and think, man, I'm so glad. I've got nine toes that don't hurt. No, you're only focused on that one pinky toe that hurts, and that's how we are in trouble. And Job was in trouble, and he was focused on him, on me. God's trying to reorganize his perspective. So he has spoken. Now Job responds. Let's read here in <clears throat> chapter 40. Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Then Job answered. Now Job's answering back to God and said, Behold... I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. <clears throat> Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. Wow, that's a change of spirit and attitude, isn't it? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this passage. I pray that as we look at more verses still, that you would just help us to get a good glimpse of how we ought to be in our attitude toward you. In Jesus' name, amen. God's speech to Job had a positive effect on him in that it brought him to his knees spiritually. It humbled him. He immediately recognized he was absolutely nothing before God. This is the right response to God every time in our life. We need to recognize who we are, who he is, and that we really are nothing. We're undeserving in every way. Now, this, this does not mean, because God kind of came on to Job in the beginning, does not mean that his three friends are vindicated. Not at all. In fact, he talks against Elhud in 38, chapter 38, verse 2, and he speaks against the three friends here a little bit later in chapter 42, verse 7. And Job's confession to God also does not mean that he had sinned some great sin and therefore brought these troubles on. Uh, we That's what they had said. So it only means that in God's sight, Job recognized, as we all better would in our life, that at best, we're nothing before God. We're just nothing. He's, he's everything. We're nothing. We're but dust. Before we deal with our problems, we need to recognize his position. And that's what's happening here with Job. Jo God will get to Job's problems. But first, he needed to recognize who God was. Now, there's three aspects of Job's confession. I know we just read a couple of verses. We're going to work through more as we go along. But look at his recognition of himself, first of all. Behold, I am vile. <laughs> that takes me back to <coughs> um, um, Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah. Remember when Isaiah saw God, his train in the temple? Uh, he says he, he, he was, that's what he said, basically. I'm wicked. I'm, I'm awful. I'm wicked. Because when we see who God is, we always see ourselves or who we are. Okay. So, uh, he hears about God's greatness and his power. He recognizes he is nothing in comparison. The word translated vile here means to be slight, to be trifling, to be of little account. 
Job is not confessing corruption. Okay, he didn't do some great sin to bring this on his life. He is confessing his nothingness before God. After God described his power and his wisdom in uh, cre his creation and all that, the animal kingdom, Job recognized, yeah, Lord, you're right. <laughs> I got nothing compared to you. You ever went to a, I, I always irritates me a little bit, guys that can build stuff, because I can't build anything. I can't uh, when it comes to carpentry. You'd think with a name like Yoder, oh, Amish carpenter. Nah, I can't carpenter anything. I'll go to some place and, and they'll be like, look at this deck I just built. You know, it'll be a beautiful deck and everything's in place and everything's straight. And I always, man, if I wish, I wish I could build a deck like that. Uh, it's always impressive. Now what God's done is basically look around, look, look at the earth. Can you call, can you create the stars? Can you make the sun? Remember what question is? How many, all the years you've been alive, Job, did you ever bring the sun up? Did you bring the sun up? So God's showing him that, and Job's like, you know, the more Job hears, he's just doing this number, the lower he gets, realizing who he is and who God is. Modern day psychology would criticize Job because he doesn't have any self-esteem here. He says, I am vile. That doesn't convey a lot of healthy self-esteem, does it? I am vile. That's okay, because it does convey humility before God. It shows God-esteem instead of self-esteem. Now, I'm all for people having a positive outlook and all that, but this whole self-esteem push in our world today is a lot of garbage in some ways. We ought to promote God-esteem, not self-esteem. If we have the proper God-esteem, we'll have the proper self-esteem. And so what, what mankind always does is in, in, the tr in the attempt to eliminate God, always elevates man and devalues God. And so we put in all this focus on self-esteem rather than God-esteem, and that's, that's a change that ought to be made. So uh, Osho was a religious Indian leader, uh, and this is what he said, and I quote, the only thing that matters in life is your opinion of yourself. That's the dumbest thing I've heard in like three weeks. Uh, our society, we are so concerned about self-esteem and we have no esteem for God. That's a problem, okay? So self-esteem, really a lot of self-esteem, again, I'm not, I'm not against people having a positive self-image, that's good, but the, the whole self-esteem movement really is honoring self, which is really pride. And the Bible condemns pride over and over and over in no uncertain terms. Exalt God instead of exalting self. And you'll be much better off. And then, by the way, uh, he'll give you the confidence and uh, the self-esteem that's correct for you. All right? Lori Fay uh, said that we ought to begin our day looking in the mirror and saying, you are good enough. You deserve good things. You're smart enough. You're worthy of love. You're amazing just the way you are. Job looked in the mirror and said, I am vile. Who did God honor? God honored the one who humbled himself. The Bible says uh, in James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. So rather than us lifting ourselves up, why don't we humble ourselves and let him lift us up? That's a better up than what we can come up with. All right. So I think that this is something that we ought to focus on in our society today. <coughs> Look at the restraint. Uh, what shall I answer? Verse, verse 4 there. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Job continues in this vein of his nothingness. Being nothing in God's sight means I no longer have any complaints, Lord. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said anything. 
I'm not complaining now. And so he, God has a sh effectively shut Job's mouth, his complaints was what he was referring to. And Job will make sure it stays shut by clamping his hand over it. Or he can't talk anymore. I'll keep my hand over my mouth. We would do well sometimes to, instead of speaking foolishly and fast and quickly without thinking, to put our hands over our mouth. Don't you think? A lot of times, how much trouble could you have avoided yourself in your life if at proper times you would put your hand over your mouth instead of speaking? Maybe we should all come to church like this. Everybody just smile and nod at one another and uh, hands over our mouth. Nobody would say anything we regret. We would all just be kind, okay? Uh, oh, here comes someone that I don't like. All right. Uh, someone starts to gossip in front of me. You know, uh, you're tempted to criticize someone. Hand over your mouth. Uh, that's a, that, that might be a, bad, a good idea for some of them. Look at the resolve. Verse 5, once I have spoken, once have I spoken, but I will not answer, yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. A again, he expresses his unwillingness to argue God's actions. Not only is he going to restrain in speaking, but he also resolves he's not going to complain anymore. The arguments that God gave about his creation and his power and his wisdom it really broke Job's spirit in the right kind of way, his complaining spirit. He saw that he had no justified complaint against God, and none of us do. Well, I tell you, life sometimes does not seem fair. And we see people doing well, having no problems, we think, and all everything, and, and I have to face all these things. Life's not fair. Well, life's not fair, really, to any of us. But, but the thing is, we don't have any right to complain against God. No right, because we don't deserve, you know, the things that we think we deserve. Now, Job, when he saw who God was and who he was not, it fixed his attitude. Now, look at the command for Job. We're going down to verse number six. Then answered the Lord unto Job out of the whirlwind and said, Gird up thy loins now like a man. I will demand of thee and declare thou unto me. That sound familiar? We read that verse last week. Not this verse, but he said the same thing when he started talking the first time. Uh, man up, Job, I'm about to talk to you, and you're not going to like this. Gird up your loins. That's what you do when you're ready to fight. That's what you do when you're ready to run, when you're ready to work. And so he's, he's basically prepared for this, Job. It's not going to be pleasant, but you need to hear it. And uh, God announces he's going to question Job some more. And uh, I will demand of thee and, thou, and declare thou unto me. So I'm asking the questions. You're going to answer me. Or we'll see if you have an answer for me. And let's, once we start seeing the questions, no, he doesn't have an answer for it. Uh, why is God doing this? Why is he beating up on Job? Oh, he's not beating up on Job, but it seems kind of like it from our perspective. Job's already confessed. God, you win. I'm nothing. I'm not done, Job. I still got some things to say. Why does he continue that? I think it's the same thing we were talking about last week. The jeweler takes the most time with his most precious stones. He's going to keep refining. He's going to keep adding the heat. He's going to keep adding the, uh, the wheel or whatever you do. I for obvious, obviously don't have lots of rare jewels, so uh, I don't know how they do it, but I assume they work on them for quite a while. Um, God wants us to be our best, and he'll do the same for you. And sometimes, if it does seem like you're getting a little bit more work done on you than others are, maybe he sees something in you. Maybe he sees some greater value in you. He wants to use you in a greater way. That's what he did with Job. Unfortunately, in spiritual matters, many of us are satisfied with much less than our best. 
God is not. He wants our best. Sometimes we're satisfied with much less than that. A, a few times on the grinding stone is more than enough for us. We don't want any more of that. We'll take mediocrity and smile about it. But, but how, much more, how much more potential does your life have than what you're doing with it now? And the difference is what God can do with it. You know, we talked about last Sunday, a Lunchable, or a couple Sundays ago, you know, this Lunchable the boy brought to the, 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 the crowd of 5,000 families there hear Jesus. Brought his little uh, uh, hush puppies and sardines, whatever he brought with him that day. And, and uh, they were just good enough to feed one person. But with Jesus, he fed thousands. Because what we put in Jesus' hands, he multiplies in great ways. He'll do the same for you in, in your life and your gifts. All right? As Isaac Disraeli said, it is a wretched taste to be gratified with mediocrity when the excellent lies before us. And so many of us are satisfied with mediocrity. The good is sometimes the enemy of the best. And we ought to be after the best and not be satisfied with where we are. So God's not done with Job. He's going to refine him and he's going to come out with a greater gem. Um, now God gives a lengthy, lengthy challenge to Job, starting verse number 8 here. Wilt thou also disown all my judgment? Wilt thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Hast thou an arm like God or canst thou thunder with a voice like him? Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. Cast abroad the rage of thy wrath and behold everyone that is proud and abase him. <coughs> He's asking to do several things like this uh, right here. Uh, can you thunder with a voice like mine, by the way? We've heard the thunder clap in the sky. Can you make that sound? Uh, you can make a lot. You might be able to make a loud sound. They're not going to be able to hear you. You know, how, how do we do it? You... Uh, you bellow out with your voice, and five miles down the road, somebody's going, three, two, one. You know how you do? You count the thunder. Uh, or you count the lightning to hear the thunder, see how long it takes, and you see how far away it is. They can't do that with you. We can't make that much noise. It goes miles. He's saying that's impossible. Um, Hast thou an arm like God? He orders then Job here to, to do two things uh, to justify his complaints. Look at verse 10. Deck thyself now with majesty and excellency and array thyself with glory and beauty. So this is holy sarcasm. Job, if you think you're wise enough to criticize me, why don't you put on my majesty? Job, after, uh, I, I mean, this, again, would take him down some serious notches. Uh, retribution is in the second challenge. Look at verse 11. Cast abroad thy rage of thy wrath. Behold everyone that is proud, and abase him. So if Job thinks he can criticize God, let him prove his retro, uh, let him prove his credentials by bringing retribution on the wicked. Let him bring down low those that are proud. Now, lest you think that's a possibility, have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to bring somebody down or humble somebody that is proud? You ever had a relationship you've been in where with somebody that is uh, very arrogant or very proud or has some other emotional uh, difficulties in their life, and you know there's nothing you can do to change them. You can only bring one proud person down in your life, and that's you. That's the only one you knew anything about. It's the, it's the biggest regret of pastoring and probably anybody, often in marriage, and it's often in uh, just any type of relationships, is that you cannot change the heart of another person. You can, do, you can only change yourself. You cannot change another person. It's usually the one of the first things we hit in marriage counseling 
to get both people to understand. You understand one thing clearly. You will not change her, and to her, you will not change him. You cannot change another person. God says to Job, you think you're big like me? You think you're great like me? Won't you abase the proud? It's an impossibility. Only God can change hearts. The, verse 14, Then will I also confess unto thee that thine own right hand can save thee. If Job can do these things that God challenges, then God will acknowledge his wisdom and power. Of course, he can't do it, and so God won't. Now, God then gives two animal examples. Uh, he created them, and they are such a wonder. If Job thinks he can criticize God, consider these creations and see if you can produce them. <laughs> it, you know, science has been trying and trying and trying to figure out how to spark life. They can't do it. They cannot do it. Only God gives life. We can come up with tissue. We can't spark life. So here uh, he brings up first behemoth. Look at verse number 14. Chapter 40, verse 14. Behold now behemoth which I made with thee, he eateth grass as an ox. His strength is in his loins, his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail about like a cedar, and the sinews of his stones are wrapped together. That's his, his joints talking about. His bones are strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. <coughs> he says the behemoth here, uh, this by the way, the word behemoth is a transliterated word. The reason is because Nobody knows what it is. It's an animal that doesn't exist now. And so the translators, when they looked at the original word, which is basically a form of behemoth, all they could do is transliterate it. What, what transliteration means is there is no English word for that word, and so we'll just use that word, and that's what they did with behemoth here. It's a Hebrew word because we really don't know what it is. Well, I, I think we can have a good idea, but, but that's uh, what they did at that time. The emphasis we see, he see we see that he was... Uh, gramini graminivorous, graminivorous, English, English speaking people here, English teachers, uh, eating grass, not meat. I know there's carnivorous, that's me, and then there's, uh, yeah, the other word, graminivorous, I think it is, but, uh, he, that's what he was. He, he eats grass and, uh, not, not other animals. So he was huge. His muscles and bones and tail all show the marvel and strength of God's great creation. Now, Here's what I find strange, that with all the commentators uh, that I read are pretty much, not all of them, but most of them are about the same, uh, they talk about this and they say that this was probably an elephant or a hippo. Have you seen an elephant with a tail like a cedar? Their little tail's a little, just a little bit tail, not like a cedar. Um, I believe with my, all my heart, this is what God's talking about right here. All right. Now, why are commentators so wrapped up in not, or not going this direction? Which not all of them don't, by the way. Uh, you can get a lot of help at the, uh, um, uh, what's that called down? Answers in Genesis has a lot of information about this. But if you look at this animal right here, every description in Job chapter 40 for behemoth fits him. Tail like a cedar. In fact, here's another thing. Uh, the Bible says his tail moveth about like a cedar. Uh, the, when I did a little bit more reading, this is a Sarasaurus, I think it's called, this type with the long neck, long tail. Uh, they have their hips. It says here in the Bible, uh, he, he moved his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. So what they've done when they've studied these skeletons, uh, they have uh, found that they, the, uh, the hip bones and the whatever back there, the bones in his legs, 
uh, or were so tightly wound together that when he walked, his tail would have done this back and forth, back and forth as he walked. What does the Bible say? That his uh, stones are wrapped together and his tail moveth like a cedar. All right. Uh, a cedar is not an elephant. This would be more like a cedar. I think it's talking about this right here. Now, was Job living at the same time as the dinosaurs? It depends where you put Job. If it was before the flood, yes. If it was after the flood, no. I'm still kind of open to the before the flood time of Job, but most people would disagree with me and they're smarter than me, so I'll go with them. We do believe it was he was before Abraham. There's no mention of Israel in the book of Job. Um, and it does mention Jordan in here, but Jordan, if you look at the original, is more just as a generalized river. Uh, he's not afraid of the floods and all those things the Bible says here. Uh, but most people in their minds, if they hold to the man-made theory of evolution, that the dinosaurs died out 66 million years ago, all right? That is just that. It is a theory. It is not based on anything but that it's a theory. It's a religion, if you really want to get down to it. Uh, I believe the animals, the uh, the dinosaurs ended at the flood, uh, the way the Bible teaches. The whole environment changed. Uh, but even if Job would have lived after the flood, they would have still been well aware of these animals. All right, This is something that would have just been generations separated. They would have been aware of behemoth. So when God talks about behemoth, Job's lights would have went on and he'd known exactly what he was talking about there. Um, I thought it was interesting. Dr. Weedle is the man's name that studied the... the uh, the, the bones and structures of these animals and, and with off of the uh, um, uh, skeletons, I guess, whatever that you find. Uh, but he also found the vertebrae of these massive seropods had weight-saving air spaces. So they would have thought for years, they thought there's no way they could have had a neck that big. It would have been too heavy, but uh, God made them to where they could. It's an amazing thing. And then he speaks of another animal, Leviathan i got five minutes, but let's talk about this one real quick. This is an illustration of his power and wisdom. The Leviathan is also a transliteration. There is no word for it. They didn't know what it was, so they just transliterated it. And uh, it's a combination of two words that mean twisting and monster in the old uh, language. So some speculate that it was a crocodile or a large serpent like a python. I'm going to show you why I think that's mistaken. Uh, <coughs> the... Uh, some people say that it was a mythical creature. But I don't think that it was. If you look here, in chapter 41, he starts talking about him. In verse 1, he says he can't be captured by a fish hook. In verse 7, weapons are absolutely ineffective against him. In verse 8, no human can tame him. In verse 14, his teeth are sharp. In verse 15 through 17, his back is made of a row of airtight scales that nothing can penetrate. Uh, verse 20, that takes out the python, by the way. Uh, he's exceptionally strong, verse 22. Verse 25, when he rises up, the mighty are afraid, verse 25. Not a single weapon can harm him, verse 26. No creature on earth is like him, verse 33. And in verse 34, he's the king over all of them. He is a real animal, folks. That's what we're talking about here. He is describing a real animal, something Job would be familiar with, if this is in no way a mythical creature because a, no mythical creature would be the king of all the creatures, right? So we understand that. Um, Leviathan is presented as a real and terrifying creature. I don't think it can be a crocodile. I'll show you a couple of reasons here. Humans can control crocodiles, uh, but no human can control the Leviathan. Chapter 41, verse 8, verse 10, verses 13 through 14. Crocodiles do not breathe fire. 
chapter 41, verses 18 through 21. Uh, you say, wait, pastor, you talking about a dragon? Absolutely. I believe there were dragons. God created all kinds of animals that are no longer around after the flood. Uh, but I believe there were. There's every civilization ever has drawn pictures of or written about uh, dragons. I think that was a real thing. Did you know, by the way, that we have uh, we have uh, the bum bumbrider bumbrider beetle? I think he was today. Still spits fire for his enemies. Uh, there's a uh, there's a, a a a hydrogen peroxide and hydrochloroquine or something that's in this little body of this beetle. And he's able to, as he ejects them, they come together and they become fire. He's a little miniature dragon. You read up about him, it's pretty interesting. Um, weapons can pierce crocodiles, but no weapon could pierce Leviathan. Verse 7 and 26. Water does not boil when the crocodiles swim through the sea, but it did for Leviathan, because why? He was huge. How huge was he? Well, we have a couple of options. I got these through answers in Genesis, gave some examples. Uh, this is a Lepluridon, right there. Um, this is, let's see what this guy is, a Masoceros, that guy right there. Uh, the, I know that kind of looks like a crocodile, but uh, he's humongous. He's a dinosaur. And this is a Plesaurus, something like that. These were all water uh, aquatic creatures. Um, the Bible says here they left a white trail behind them in verses 40, uh, 31 through 32 because they were huge, like a a yacht or a big ship goes through the water today and leaves a white trail behind it. And so uh, this is not hyperbole, I don't believe, these animals. I think they were real. This is why Job has given them. And uh, they, I believe as dinosaurs this is talking about here. Uh, dinosaurs uh, lived in conjunction with man. All right, that's very clear in the Bible. Uh, it does not, it isn't what evolution teaches, but... Uh, they're, they've come to the party really lately with their theories. All right? The Bible's been around a long time, and uh, I choose to believe the Bible. So uh, there's a time that dinosaurs went extinct. We'll get in, we could get into all that a different time. If you, if you want to know, come to discipleship. We go over that then. But their dinosaurs went extinct when the environment changed with the flood. Uh, so that, that's, that's all really easy to see when you just believe the Bible rather than uh, buying into, uh, by the way, you can sell anything if it takes billions of years. Think about it. I mean, pretty much, who's going to argue? You going to stick around for that long? See, I told you you were wrong. You can't stick around for billions of years. So you can just kind of get away with saying anything that way. But point is here that God's pointing to these two animals and saying, Job, you look at these. I made them. You want to advise me? We can do the same thing. We look around the world today. Look up, look up at the stars, the planets. I made all that. And you want to tell me where I'm wrong or what I need to do? Or... We do that, don't we? It's because we get an improper view of ourselves, an improper view of him. We get a proper view of him and a proper view of us, and we'll be like Job and we'll say, I am vile. I am nothing, Lord. And I'm ready to listen. So the point is Job needed to be humbled, and he was sufficiently humbled. Amen? We do, we do too. We do too. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this passage. I know we kind of rushed through it, but I, I pray that we would have, would take some of